Amen. Thank you. All right. We okay, Rusty? Yeah. Do I need to go to the lectern? We're good? All right, good. I hear us. Good. Um, I wasn't going to ask you, because if I said if you could hear me and you couldn't, you might say, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. We're good. So we're looking together at 2 Corinthians. We've been in this text for several weeks. I had seen this past summer, just looking at the, the scriptures from which I had preached, that I had, I had never touched 2 Corinthians in my time with you, so we've done enough. So this will be our last uh, Sunday in this series, and you can also go on YouTube. We've had a YouTube daily devotional series. Those, the sermons and the devotionals will stay up on our YouTube channel. I'd encourage you to go there. As we've gone through 2 Corinthians, we've seen so many things about the life we can have in Christ. It is, it's to be a life of spiritual disciplines and also a life under discipline. It is to be an available life. It's a life that is to risk and to reach. Because of Christ and what he has won for us, uh, it can also be a, a life that is, that is both comforting but shares the comfort of God. A, God, a life that is sanctified, set apart, and serious about our faith. And today we want to look at uh, this passage and just see what else does the Lord have, not just for us, but what kind of ministry does he want to do among us and through us. So as we look to this passage, if you're following along in your notes, it's not just what we can have in him, uh, but what we can have through him and among us. And the first part is, it's a serious check that Paul gives that church, and you see it in verse 20 when he says, be reconciled to God. It is a reconciled life to God. The call always, but you see it a lot here in Paul, is to be reconciled, to come back to Christ, to be back into right relationship with him. If you're looking in your, your word today, verse 18, Paul says, I know I, I have that faith. I know it's, it's in those people who have come to you, those with me, those other disciples, we've shared that faith. But he says to this church, be reconciled. Make sure that you are connected with God. And y'all, in the Greek, it's not just an imperative. We get told by Paul through the Spirit, by the Spirit, through Paul, be this, do this. But really, when you get to the heart of that word, it's personal. It, it really means beg. I'm begging you. Would you take this moment, church, Paul says to these Corinthians, and be reconciled. Maybe for some of them it was for the first time to say yes to Jesus. They, they had lived life away from Jesus, and we need to respond to that call. Maybe it was, maybe it was that there was a place in their heart, a place in their priorities, a place in their work, a place in the roles that they're to play, and they have drifted from what God had desires. Be reconciled to God. Listen, we talk about that in Methodist church sometimes, and it can be awkward, especially you front row folks, when the preacher says, get reconciled to God. I know because I served a church right before I got there while a preacher was sharing, get reconciled to God, come back to God, and in the middle of a sermon, somebody came down to the to the altar rail, the communion rail, to pray. And you know what happened. Uh, yeah, this is Usher 1. We've got a code red. We've got somebody in section uh, 2 
uh, before the benediction, we need an extraction team. <laughs> and they pulled the guy from that rail who was trying to get back to God because it could be awkward, right? Be reconciled to God. If, there's, if, it's, if it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, where is that in your life? Where is that in your heart? Where is that in your worldview and mind? Where is that in your relationships that, Lord, I know. I've been, hold, I've been holding on to this one. And I'm going to give it back to you today. Paul says to this church, be reconciled to God. Now, if you drop down a verse, this is why it can happen. That reconciliation with God only happens through and in Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or I like the message paraphrase. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. Now again, this is not a, this is not a word to them or to us or to me for us to be paranoid about our faith. Now Paul's pretty serious when he ends up quoting Isaiah later in a couple of chapters and says, today's a day of salvation. Or, or later in chapter 13 where he says, examine yourself, test yourself, make sure you're in the faith. And we want to do that work and to say, are we ready? Because as we just heard so beautifully sung, there will be a final day when we'll meet Jesus. And you go back to verse 10 of this passage, and it says, all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so we do want to answer that question, are we ready? Matter of fact, for Wesley, he would confess to you early on in his journals. We've also been looking some at Wesley's life and practice of ministry. This, this, Wesley had the opportunity to to edit those journals. He not only wrote them, but then he went back and edited them. And he could erase this stuff, but he didn't. And he talks about on his missionary journey to America that the boats were going up and down. There was incredible storms. He was scared out of his mind, and he actually wrote down and kept in his journal, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to die. But there were some Germans over here, and I've told you this once before, that calmly sang praise to God. He knew they were ready. He was not. And then later, when he finally has that Aldersgate experience, he realizes what verse 21 of our passage says, that he trusted Christ and Christ alone for his salvation, that Christ alone forgave his sins. He talks a lot, Wesley does, about being ready. It's a word that comes up a lot with our, our founder, um, he even spoke one time with a man about 40 years old. And the, after hearing Wesley preach, and they were talking afterwards, the man said, well, I'm just praying that God will give me 30, 30 more years. And, and Wesley says, why? Why 30? Well, I want 10 more years. This is a true story. I want 10 more years to hunt. I'm your preacher. I know what next Saturday is. I also know when deer season starts. I also, you know, right? So I know we love to hunt. So I need 10 more years to hunt. I need 10 more years to make more money. And he was already, he couldn't count his money. And then he said, I need 10 more years to repent. Now, what, did he, what had he done in 60 years? I'm going to need a whole decade to work this stuff out. You know what Wesley said to him? He, just as always, we talked about it this week in our YouTube series. We've got to know the word of God. 
So when opportunities come and the Lord leads us into spiritual conversations, we can share. Not our opinion, those matter, but what I want to share is what God said to us. And he looked him in the eye and said, this very hour, your soul will be required of you. It's now. You don't put it off. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in our passage, uh, in 2 Corinthians, this letter, today is the day, quoting back to Isaiah, today is the day for salvation. And Wesley would tell you there were time and time again uh, where he would see people who faithfully loved the Lord and they were ready all their life and were and 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 it was and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. There was a there was a blessing to their families for that, but that always that's part of our witness, but also our response. Am I ready today? There was a young woman who had traveled to the city and happened to hear John Wesley preach. She was from the country, and she was cut to the heart. But she didn't tell anybody about that. One of the early Methodists saw her response and took the initiative to walk over and say. Tell me what's going on in your life. I see that that message moved you. What's going on? And that woman shared with her that 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 message had cut her to the heart. And the Methodist said, do you mind if I have your address? Can I write to you? She said, sure. Went home to the country. That Methodist woman wrote a letter and included the Isaiah 49 passage. Today is the day of salvation. I pray you'd come to the Lord. The woman read that letter when she received it, and we know she read it and received it well because she wrote immediately back to the woman who wrote that. Today I do receive it. Today I gladly receive the salvation offered to me in Christ Jesus, wrote some other wonderful personal notes, gave it to somebody to send, and before the day ended, she was gone. But a Methodist had said, today could be the day. Are you ready to meet the Lord. We don't want to miss that. When the Lord calls, when Paul says be reconciled, when Wesley talks about being ready, we don't want to miss that season. And maybe it's for you, it's not a personal coming to Christ of, in faith. I pray that there's some who are watching even today that, that this will be, or maybe even here, that this will be the day I respond. I, I just really give my life to him. But there, is there something an attitude, a ministry he's called you to, that you've just been withholding from him. Be reconciled to God. Don't miss today. Tom Tanner had the biggest Wesley Foundation college ministry in the United Methodist Church over any other any other Wesley Foundation director at the University of Georgia. After he finished up at Georgia, he led one of the, actually the, the largest church in Georgia, a vibrant, gifted pastor and when a friend and I had the opportunity to invite somebody to be the spiritual director of the senior high spiritual life retreat at Camp Wesley Pines when I, we had the opportunity you guys get to pick whoever's coming we picked Tom Tanner oh by the way did you know at that very same retreat at that very same location do you know who Camp Wesley Pines picked this year to be their spiritual director some guy named Corey Phillips I don't know if you've heard of him it's pretty awesome We picked Tom Tanner. I knew about his vibrant ministry in Georgia with those college students. Come bless us. I didn't know know the, the other parts of his story. I didn't know that he deeply loved the Lord, sought the Lord. He and his wife ended up serving at a church. He was serving a church. 
And there began to be struggles in that church. It's church. There's always struggles. Y'all were people struggling. There was churches. There were struggles in Corinth. There were struggles in that church. And uh, they got amplified. And, and Tom was still trying to be faithful, but he began to, to become depressed and really struggled. And, and at one point, his wife separated from him for four years. For four years, which amplified the depression and led him to a point where he would say, and I heard this in a podcast from last September, you can look it up, The, the Art of Holiness by Reverend Carolyn Moore, United Methodist pastor. She's amazing. He said, I had nothing left. I even would go to, to my mentor's office and Xerox. I would copy his sermons. I had, I had nothing. Eventually, he was out in a parking lot one night, and he looked up to heaven, and he heard God speak. Here's what God said to Tom. Now or never. Now or never. The scriptures say to us, seek the Lord while he may be found. You know, while he's near, hold on to him. Now, God's always with us. God's always reaching. But when, when God moves, you want to move with him. Because Tom understood in that moment, what God was saying to him is, you miss me now. I'm here. I'm begging you. Be reconciled to me. Let me have your ministry. Let me have your heart. Let me have your marriage. And Tom basically responded, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. And God renewed Tom. God supernaturally healed his marriage and restored him to a vibrant and incredible ministry. Had there been places maybe that he'd been holding back, places where he hadn't been trusting, and God showed up and said, hey, now or never, I don't want you to miss what I have for you. Paul says to this church, which has struggled, all of us have struggled, he says to this church and to our church, be reconciled. Be ready, as Wesley would say. You need to do that today. Steve would love to pray with you. Ben would love to pray. I'd love to pray with you. If there's a, there's, whether it's for a first-time profession of faith that you would say, like, I've been holding back, and I've never really said yes to Jesus. Or there's places in my heart I just, I'm nervous about this, or I'll just be honest, I'm sinfully holding it. This is mine, and I need to be reconciled. Do that today. There's also implications, though, here, and you see it in Paul. The the importance, when you and I do that, it's not just between us and God, but there's a beauty in what he does in others and amongst us when you and I are fully reconciled to God. And I, I just bumped into that this week. This is your pastor talking for one minute. But just in John Wesley's journal, seeing again about the importance of sharing our faith with those that we love. I know it's hard, especially for, for whether you're an introvert or a guy, and I fit both those categories, it can be hard. But how, what a gift, as a pastor, and I've seen it for three decades now of ministry, what a gift it is to be able to talk about your faith. I know as difficult as it may be with your family, because I've gone to too many funerals where I bumped into too many kids or grandkids that had no idea about grandmother's faith or grandfather's faith, dad's faith, mom's faith, a brother's faith a sister's faith. 
What a gift to be able to uh, share that uh, with others, to encourage them and to let them know you're ready. I, uh, it should have been crushing when, when, when John Wesley's mother died. This is a mom who poured into him. This is a mom who gave each of her children a basically an hour a week to talk about their faith, to talk about their future. This is a mom who modeled for them the spiritual disciplines. This is a mom who taught Bible studies from their home. This is a mom who did so many wonderful things. It should have been crushing. This past week, I was on Facebook. My aunt posted a pic of her son and his birthday. Oh, there's pics of Jess. And I clicked through it, and a picture popped up of my grandmother. She's almost been gone 30 years. That picture popped up, and I can't tell you the joy. Her name's Granny Apple. Don't laugh at that. That's her name. That's my grandmother. Her name's Granny Apple. When Granny Apple's picture popped up, I can't tell you the joy, but it's like somebody stabbed me through the heart. Deep joy, but just almost 30 years, and yet this crushing pain, she's gone. And you see what Wesley should have felt, that she, all that investment, I bet 10, 20 pages of his journal is just him quoting his mom about her faith and her life. But she had prepared John. She had passed on the faith. And John knew whose she was, even in her last breath. What do you say in your last breath? Here's what Mrs. Wesley said. When I'm gone, sing a psalm of praise to God. It's what Paul says to this church in 2 Corinthians. If I'm out of this body, I'm home. It's that kind of readiness, that kind of assurance, that kind of life that, that just screamed to her kids, yeah, it hurts to be gone. And we want to do all that we are called to do in this body while we're here. But this is not home. And when I'm gone, I'll be with God and you can sing. So much so, that's what Wesley says at his death. He's got his friends around him in his deathbed and basically says the same thing. I want you guys praying and praising. Would you sing with me? I mean, just song after song as he's dying, sing praise to God. I, Sarah and I love a, a Christian artist named Julie Miller. Maybe you've heard her sing this song before. When I go, when I go, when I go, don't cry for me. In my Father's arms I'll be. The wounds this world left on my soul will all be healed and I'll be whole. Sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus' face. And I'm not ashamed, for my Savior knows my name. It doesn't matter where you bury me. I'll be home, and I'll be free. That's the faith we have. When we're reconciled to God, we can know. But also what a gift then to let others know. Just as that Methodist woman did for that country young girl, just like Wesley's mom did for, for him, what a gift to pass on faith and to have things in order for our children and for our friends and to speak to that going to verse 18 this this last point it's not just a life reconciled to God but in verse 18 it's a, it's a life reconciled with others 
He doesn't just do this marvelous work of justifying us, saving us, and then here we see hints of this sanctifying work. You're a new creation. You can be something new, but it's more than that. And we, we can't stop God's saving work just at me and Jesus. He talks about not just being reconciled to God, but we've been gifted and given a ministry of reconciliation. Uh, it's a good reminder for us. I, I like how the message, and it's a paraphrase, but I like how the message translates verse 18. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. Paul ends up saying that in chapter 7 too. Make room for us in your hearts. Pull us together. And he says that throughout this letter. And it's not just this letter. You go back to 1 Corinthians 1 and this is his church. This is his baby. And he's, he's not saying it's about me. I hear some of you are with Peter or with Apollos. More importantly, I hear some of you are just following me. It's Christ. We're the body of Christ after him, not, not after me or Peter or Apollos. And then even you see it spill out into his life, this kind of reconciling work. Do you remember in Acts, who's the greatest ministry team maybe in all of human history? Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember what happened to that team? Mark. Family member of Barnabas, Mark. And Mark decides to take his ball and go home. And Barnabas and Paul have it out about that. And they end up splitting. These two who had done so much for the gospel, they end up splitting because Mark quit. I've told you before, I had a running back when I played high school football that at halftime quit because he didn't want to get hit anymore by the opposing team's middle linebacker. It's been over probably 35 years since I played high school ball. I actually still feel that middle linebacker on me. He was a monster among boys, a killer. My friend quit at halftime in the middle of the game against a rival school. Get lost then. We're done with you. That's what I thought Paul would say. I love reading later in Colossians when Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Oh, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, you welcome him. Reconciliation. And then later, as you read in 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy and to others, pretty much everybody's gone. All my friends are either out doing ministry, but I also have this person who's left me. And then he says this, I've only got Luke with me now. Would you bring Mark to me? He's useful and profitable to me reconciled that's the goodness of jesus and you see that in our savior's life he doesn't just save a prodigal son but look what happens with a prodigal son and a father and the real kind of restoration that can and reconciliation that can happen in a family 
He doesn't just go to a tax collector who's in desperate need of salvation and winds his way down and says to Matthew, follow me. But if you're a tax collector, you've been messing with the Romans and cheating your own people. You're on the outs. No, you're part of the 12. You're restored to the family of God. It's a ministry of personal salvation, yes, but a ministry that's always saying, how is it I can be reconciled with my brothers and my sisters? Now, just like our salvation, it's going to take Jesus to do that. You've been burned before? You've been hurt before? I can't count the wounding of Paul in these two letters to this church. A church he founded, a church he visited, and yet by the end of it, he's saying, you can be reconciled. I know you're going to give God the glory. Christ has got to do that work. And going back as we close, just watching Wesley's life, you just see that kind of a amazing reconciliation work between preachers and clergy. I can't count the journal entries between rich and poor and him bringing uh, people together or Quakers or Moravians or all over and over. Let me tell you quickly. I had dinner uh, this week with a, I don't know if I can say this word in here, a Calvinist. Can I say, no, I'm just kidding. Had a couple Presbyterians, had, had dinner with them. A lot of my best friends are Presbyterian. And uh, we got to talking about doctrinal stuff. And uh, sometimes they can pick on me being a Methodist. And uh, I brought up the story of a journal entry in, in John Wesley. He was talking about John Whitfield, I mean George Whitfield. And George Whitfield may have been one of the greatest preachers and probably brought thousands to Jesus Christ. And he helped teach Wesley, if you remember. He taught Wesley, get out of your church and get to the fields and get to preaching. The harvest is ripe. And Wesley did that and saw thousands come to Christ. But Whitfield supported Calvinism and Wesley didn't. And Wesley preached against some of that or taught against some of that. And so Whitfield actually, by the way, let me tell you about the pastor down at St. Matthew's. Or actually, I won't talk about him. Let me talk about First Baptist. Let me tell about Ronnie. But hang on. Ben Derrick was my intern over at Vertical. Let me talk to you about Ben. I know some stuff on Ben. Can you imagine this? George Whitfield, this man of God, got in the pulpit and started calling Wesley by name from the pulpit. Over that, he just drilled him. Threw him to the wolves. They'd done ministry, vibrant ministry together. He knew Wesley. Just drilled. And I love one of the last... Uh, I love one of the uh, journal entries later from Wesley. You're going to preach about me in, in your pulpit? Let me tell you something, brother. That's not what he said. Mr. Whitfield called upon me. Disputings are no more. We love one another and join hand in hand to promote the cause of our common master. It's the kind of work that Jesus will do and has given to his people. It can be hard work, I know. But what a gift that God not only wants to save us, but he wants to save us and our relationships. Our, 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 whoever that is for you. He can do that work. Trust him with that. Be open to him for him to do that work. Paul says to this church, be reconciled. You ready? Are you met, ready to, to meet Christ? Are you also ready, as Paul said, are you reconciled? Are there some places you've held from Christ? Would you give that to him 
today. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day of you turning that to him. But also, where, where is Christ wanting to work in your relationships and doing some healing work in your life? Let's stand for the benediction.